Socialists. We're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Verisage Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. And on today's show, Ed, we were supposed to have a guest. When I know. I'm totally bummed. Yeah, no, and there's probably people tuning in going... What do you mean? What? Yeah, no, John Stossel. John Stossel is not going to be able to join us t- today. We did get word uh, relatively late that uh, he broke his jaw, Ron, uh, which uh, that's really not good. So I don't he, – his, his, his folks did say that he would be perfectly willing to re- reschedule and we'll figure all that out. But, but, but first of all, our, our best wishes, wishes to John and, and his family for a for – a, a quick healing to what is, I hear, a very painful situation. So, absolutely, wow, yeah, I was really depressed when I heard that, and just yeah, what an ordeal to go through. And then, and now, plus, I'm disappointed, Ed, that we have to listen to one another. I mean, I know. <laughs> I was like, really okay, wound up for that, <laughs> but. But we'll get him. We'll get him on. He'll be back. Yeah, we'll yeah. Folks, so. We'll get him on. And you know, we're we're pros. We play hurt. We got we got plenty of topics. We'll 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 jump in and figure something out. So um, that's that's what we're ready to do. So. And we did that earlier. And folks, what we decided to do was I Ed, I conducted a um, pricing master class in Australia when I was over there with my dad a couple weeks ago. It was actually on May thirtieth, and it was for the launch of Innovum which is our colleague John Chisholm and David Wells and Liz Harris. So three lawyers getting together and they launched their consulting firm and they had a breakfast meeting to announce the launch. And I, I briefly spoke at that for like, John gave me like 10 minutes and said, I'm going to give you the hook if you go more. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but then, um, and, 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 and that was great because David spoke and John spoke and, and Liz spoke and, and talked about what their purpose was and, and the why behind their, their new company, which was great. It's to help law firms transform basically their business model, which of course mm-hmm. includes pricing and no timesheets. And then after that event, uh, I did a pricing masterclass and I didn't really pay attention. And it's my fault, not John's. I didn't pay attention to how he had marketed it very closely. I mean, I might have read something, you know, weeks before I flew over there, but then completely <laughs> forgot about it because I was doing other events in the advertising agency space. And so, and this this came towards the end of our trip. And <laughs> the the marketing literature was, Ron's going to share his top 10 lessons with you about what he's learned ab- about pricing. <clears throat> Excellent. Know. I know you're such a big fan of the listicle, Ron. Oh, the you listicle. love the listicle. It's like John. What? What do you miss, David Letterman? You know, I. But, 
<laughs> it works though. It works though. People I, love top five, top, th- and I have to admit, occasionally I get caught up by the clickbait as well. So I know. Well, you know, we've done you. Well, I saw you do it first, but I stole it from you. The top, the top ten business myths, and right. and we've done that on the show. Uh, in fact, it was two shows. <laughs> and and folks, what we're going to discuss today is I'm going to share with you my top ten lessons, and then Ed will share. I made him come up with his draft of what he would say, and we'll kind of explore those differences. But the good news is we are going to put in some new material. Some of the material we've done on previous shows, and when we get the show notes, Ed, we'll, um, we're going to link to John Chisholm's recap of my presentation because he did a great job. And so yeah. I'm going to be really lazy and, and steal that and just provide a link to his LinkedIn page for that. But then also we'll try and put in all of the links to the previous shows where we've dealt with these various topics. So, okay, cool. Yep. And that's, that's how I figure it. But you know, and I know I've talked about this before, but I can't, I just, I don't think this can ever be said enough. The reason that I got into to this whole fixed pricing slash value pricing to begin with, and this was mm-hmm. back in 1989 after I left Pete Mark Mitchell which was then a big eight accounting firm. So folks, you know how old I am because that's how you carbon data CPA is you listen to how they refer to the, you know, the big firms. If somebody says Ernst and Winter, yeah, you know, <laughs> you, you know what era to put them in. Um, but when I left there and started my own firm with my partner, Justin, um, I learned really quick, Ed, because I was responsible for pricing um, that, you know what? This is a really hourly billing is a really crappy customer experience. Okay, so that's number ten on your list, right? 10 that on your is list. number ten, and and okay. actually it's number one, geogra- you know, chronologically. But but that was really the revelation. Yeah, no, it's awful because it, 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 it's not because it's not really a price, right? It's it's just it, a rate is not a price. And then the estimate is just that, an estimate. So it, from a customer experience standpoint, you don't know what your price is. And I think, you know, we've, we've often used the story about going in and buying milk. And what if, if a, a CPA priced milk the way they do their normal services and say, no, the milk's between 3 and $5. <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> it's yeah. like, well, what do you mean? Well, you know, we haven't gotten the bill from the dairy yet. And, you know, those, the, those, uh, the, those, the, the, those truckers, you know, they're always changing things. So we'll figure it out and then we'll send you the final bill in two weeks and let you know what that is. And, and, you know, part of that also is the justification I always used when somebody complained to me about the bill I sent was, well, I spent the time. Yeah. Well, what a lousy justification because they don't care about the time. Here they are upset. You know, I've, I've sent them a Unabomber, you know, package in the mail, my invoice, and, and it blew up and I get the angry call. Mm-hmm. And, and it was a really simple question. It was, we had business clients. Why don't they deal with these types of issues? And it dawned on me that, well, dummy, they give a price up front. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, it was that simple. Literally, it was... And we were trying to create a great customer experience. I was really into studying, you know, leading service companies like Disney and Nordstrom and, and all of that. So I, you know, I developed this uh, idea. In fact, it was my first book that never got published called The Final Frontier. Um, how arrogant is that? But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it was all about total quality service. And so I had been just in, 
you know, deep in research about all these great companies. And, and we just wanted to create a great customer experience. And the, and the billable hour definitely conflicts with that. Yep. No, no question. No question. Um, all right. So how do you want to do this? Do you want to, what, what do you want to give me your number nine? Do you want me to give me your number? How do you want to go? Um, well, why don't you, why don't we trade off? Why don't you give me your 10? Okay, trade trade off. All right, so, uh, well, let's see. I did not these in no particular order. All right, right. so sure, because <laughs> right, I just I just kind of brainstorm these. So, I'll, I'll give you the number ten just to make it easy. Uh, mine, my my number ten top ten pricing lesson is good fences make good neighbors. Yes. All right. Good fences make good neighbors, and and for those of you not know what I'm talking about, first of all, it's it's a it's a allusion to a poem, um, and I can't remember the author. Is it? It might Robert be Robert Frost. Robert Frost, good right, and it's an ironic title, by the way. It's it's not true. Good fences don't make good neighbors. It's it was the the poem is kind of about the opposite of opposite, that. Right, right, right. But it's good fences do make good prices, and by fences, what we're talking about is the in price theory the differences between your choices, and by good fences, we want what we want is clear distinction between what the choices are, so that there's no. It can't be nebulous, right? There can't be this, well, this is a little bit the same. No, you want something that's absolutely clear. Hey, let's just take response time. If um, we're going to do response time, I'd rather see you do something like six hours, three hours, and one hour versus a half hour, 15 minutes, and five minutes, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Because that, that, that the second is, there's not enough of a difference, I mean, unless it depends on your industry, I suppose. But for the most part, there would not be enough of a difference between those different choices to to have the customer see a difference. Right, right. And I, I mean, you can see this with like an airplane, right? First class, business class. There's a there's a big enough distinction there, even if you're just walking through to go to coach or a presidential suite and a junior suite and a regular room. You know, those right. are those are very clear fences. So, yeah, that that's a great one. I love, you know, I love that that fencing concept for, uh, for options. So yeah, that's good. Yep. All right. You're up. All right, Ed, this one is, this one might take us through, uh, the rest of this segment and into the next even, but this was something I picked up from David Wells, um, our Verisage colleague, uh, who runs Moore's, um, uh, it's a law firm in out, mm-hmm. it's outside of, uh, Melbourne. And he's been on the show before he's, um, We've interviewed him along with Matthew Burgess and John Chisholm talking about the future of the professions book, the Susskind's book. And he, he, he wrote this memo where he, he said, you know, this, this whole transformation issue and what we did at Moore's and, and all of that is it requires liminal thinking. And I'd never really heard the word liminal thinking, um, so I'm sitting there talking to John in his house and, and, you know, he's telling me about this and I'm like, liminal thinking, cause it's, it, it's Latin. Um, mm-hmm. and it means threshold. Right. And right. it's a, this, this idea of it's a state of ambiguity or disorientation that precedes a breakthrough to a new kind of thinking. In other mm-hmm. words, it's the space in between. And if you think about a threshold, it's kind of a cool analogy because, you know, you carry your bride across the threshold, right? You're, you're, you're leaving one world and you're entering a new one that where the future is uncertain and you're not exactly sure. You know what? You're in that in-between space, mm-hmm. you know, and we've all found ourselves there when we change our mind or 
when you, you you know riding the backwards bike from the regular bike or switching from hourly billing to value pricing this this liminal thinking idea um and so i was sitting there talking to john i said well there's got to be a book on this so we went to amazon and we searched this book and i found this book by um dave gray and mm -hmm. uh, we'll link to this in the show notes and it's called liminal thinking and so i bought it on on kindle and john was kind of blown away because i i had read it in one day because it's a short book but it's completely fascinating and when we come back from this break, folks, I want to give you some more uh, information on on uh, this liminal thinking and and why I think it's it's such a neat concept to understand when you're kind of in a transition mode from the old way to the new way. But uh, Ed, we're up against it, and folks, we'd like to remind you if you want to contact Ed or myself, you can send us an email to ask tsoe at verisage com and check out our full show notes and an archive where you can. Listen to all the shows that we've ever done at thesoulofenterprise.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here doing uh, our top 10 pricing lessons. Uh, it was inspired by a talk I gave in Australia on May 30th. At, at our colleague John Chisholm's launch of his new consulting business in Novum. And, Ed, we're talking about liminal thinking in this book by Dave Gray. And one of the things he says is change happens at the boundaries of things, between the known and the unknown, the familiar and the different, between the old way and the new way, the past and the future. And I, I thought that was a really neat explanation of, of what's going on when you're, you know, it's kind of like what he says in the backwards bike video that 
knowledge does not equal understanding. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I no. mean, you, you mm-hmm. can concept, you can look at a, a graph or, you know, the various concepts that we show about pricing or, or whatever. And you can say, yeah, intellectually, I, I get that. But until you live through it, you don't really have a deep understanding of it. And, and I think that's especially true with like the timesheet issue. So he, and just the last thing he says uh, that I'll bring up in this book, he says, liminal thinking is the art of creating change by understanding, shaping, and reframing beliefs. So he, he also talks about beliefs. You know, Rabbi Lappin says, we're defined by our beliefs, not by what we know. So that, that's kind of a theme in this work as well, though he doesn't necessarily talk too much about the language change that, you know, you and I would say is required as well to change mm-hmm. your beliefs. But anyway, that's liminal thinking. And I just thought it was such a neat concept that, you know, I, I, I want to study it more, but we're going to try and get this author on folks, a guy named Dave Gray, and I, I will put up a link to the book. So that was my number nine, Ed. Yep. No, good stuff. Good stuff. I think really it, it is that, that that BFO moment, how adults learn that blinding flash of the obvious when you make the connection. So I, 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 I'm interested in reading that book to see how it, that, that concept connects in. All right. Um, number nine on my list, Ron, is Don't Forget Van and Vaughn. And that is uh, my shorthand for Don't Forget to Use the Van Westendorp Questions, which I know we talked about for narrowing the gap, right? At what's, what price should this customer think this is too expensive, uh, expensive, and then uh, cheap, and then too cheap, right? Right. And then, of course, the 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 uh, absolutely ubiquitous and famous uh, uh, Baron Joseph von Neinbach model, where you develop three internal prices for each of your choices and then have a conversation about that. So Van and Vaughn are, the, are, are my pricing lessons. Use, use, use Van and Vaughn. And, 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 you know, we got to do on, on Baron Joseph, uh, nine, von Neinbach, we, we've got to do a, uh, we've got to do, we've got to do a, um, sorry about that folks. That was my iPhone going off. Um, we've got to do, a, a show on that as a memorable mentor, I think. Oh, absolutely. You know, that's a great idea. All right. We got to work that up. Yep. 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 <laughs> There's a lot out there on him. So yeah, there uh, is. He's a, you know, just this genius, genius guy. Okay, cool. cool. Um, all right. So now the eight, my number eight is your strategy and positioning dictate your pricing strategy. And, and I sure. should have also, I should also say purpose, right? Your purpose, your strategy and your positioning dictate, but everybody likes to dive into the pricing without first thinking about their purpose or their strategy, right? And so I talked a little bit about, you know, the essence of strategy is choosing what not to do. And we talked about the diversification discount, you know, that if if you look at Coke versus Pepsi, say, the market applies a discount to Pepsi because it's involved in, you know, it's got Taco Bell and Frito-Lay and Kentucky Fried Chicken and beverages, whereas Coke just does beverages, that's mm-hmm. it. So Coke is more profitable and they have a higher market cap because they don't have this diversification. So they're, they're, it's like you pay a complexity tax when you diversify. And so the idea of specialization and all of that, which we think is really critical. And we talked a little bit about Tim Williams book, you know, positioning for professionals. So um, I think before you can dive into pricing, like we had a show where we talked about the three macro pricing strategies, you can have a a neutral pricing strategy, which is the default. 
You can have a skim pricing strategy like Apple, and Bose, and BMW, or Porsche, or you can have a penetration pricing strategy like Southwest Airlines. Well, your strategy is going to determine which one of those you use. Sure. So you've, you've got to sort that out first, and that was the point I was trying to make. Yep. Yeah, and certainly before strategy comes uh, becomes purpose. So yeah, good, good, right. good stuff. All right, uh, my number eight, Ron, would be uh, bundles, not line items. Right. And this is just the the notion that when you are putting your th- together your three choices, never give a breakout of what constitutes that particular bundle from a price perspective. You certainly want to break it out in terms of what's included. I think people, and, and I, I often times when I'm talking about this, I don't make that distinction well enough. Like in each of your choices, you do want to say what is included in those choices. But what you don't want to do is l- create line items for each of those things and that add up to your final bundle price. And the example that I always use here is it's your pricing should be like a Happy Meal. Right. You know, if you if you look at the individual prices for the burger, the fries and the drink, if you add those up, it's going to be significantly more than if you buy the bundled Happy Meal price. Right. Same thing with a a car, too. Right. If you buy the price, buy buy the parts for a car, it would be seven or eight times the price and it wouldn't be put together. So uh, but make sure you're you're creating those bundles for people and don't break it down. And if you're asked for a breakdown, my response is just tell them it's proprietary. That's my favorite response. (laughs) Yep. 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 We yeah. so, try and try and ask American Express for the breakdown of you know the gold and green and platinum cards by service. Right. They're not you know that's not going to happen. So yeah, no that I really like that bundling is such a powerful pricing strategy. And I recently heard at a, a venture capitalist say, and I thought this was a good line. He says there's only two ways to make money: you can bundle or you can unbundle. Yeah. Right. And and we see both strategies and. And, and, and in, in a way, you can unbundle to get your lowest, lower price options, right? You're stripping out things. But no matter how you do it, I think you're absolutely right. You need one price on the entire package and not to line item, you know, um, those services. Yep. Yep. Totally good. Okay. All right. Get so another one in, Ron. Number seven. Uh, you'll like this one because – we totally both agree on this. The value conversation is probably the most important skill in our business. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. No question. No question. And we we can link to an article that I did on on this. And yes, we always refer to Mahan calls. We did a whole show on this, right? Which I think is the soul of enterprise.com slash value conversation. So if you're interested in going back to that, but we'll put it in the show notes as well. Yeah. It's amazing to me how often this step is, is skipped by people and they're like, but I still want a value price. I'm like, well, sorry, you can't. Sorry. Yep. No, no value conversation, no value pricing. The, the, the second rule of medicine, you know, prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. I mean, the, the fact that the scope of value determines the scope of work, you know, you, you, it, it, that gets so lost on professionals because we love to dive into scope of work because it's where our comfort zone is. But yep. we need we need to step back and 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 this also comes to the point of asking beautiful questions, right? A more beautiful question, the book mm-hmm. that we love, and and all of that. So, um, yeah, I, I'm I'm really convinced, and I think Blair Enns says it as well. He said that the value con- well, he says the value conversation is where value pricing goes to die. Right. <laughs> and yep. I love yep. that, but he also talks about it being literally the most important skill. And we've been saying that ever since 
you know, we talked to Dan Morris on the show about this because Dan is probably one of the best at the value right. conversation. So, and, and that yeah. means you can be kind of a crappy pricer and you you can be a lousy cost accountant and you can still do really well and have very happy customers. Yeah, no, he's a, he's a savant with that. So, all right. My number seven, seven run, pretty simple. Offer a guarantee. Ah, yeah. Offer a guarantee. You know, and and in fact, we had a little conversation about uh, on this today on the Verisage and Friends site on Facebook. If you're not a member of that group and want to be, just please hit us up, and we'll be happy to add you to that. But we have some really good conversations there about some of this stuff. And uh, somebody asked about the var- uh, the guarantee, and I, I I forgot that you really should break it up into two different types of guarantee: one your service guarantee, and one your price guarantee. Service guarantee, of course, is that you guarantee that the, that your your service, your work. Uh, and then the second one is it's also to offer a price guarantee, which is to say that you, that if if they if a customer ever gets a bill from you that they weren't expecting, they don't pay for it. Right. Period. End right. of story. And and when we did some of our initial. Uh, guarantees we i did break it out that way i had the service guarantee which now i've changed the value guarantee i think it's better language than service guarantee but and then the price guarantee so yeah it's uh that's really and that's so important we got some great feedback on that show on the value guarantee because even though we've been talking about it for so long people are were like wow and 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 i i think the big insight was we're doing it already yep (laughs) Everybody yeah. out there is already giving this. You might as well get some marketing muscle for it, some pricing power for it, and a differentiator from the competition. It's especially powerful in RFP. So, yeah, that, that's good stuff. Um, number six, Ed, was were my five, my five favorite key predictive indicators. All right. Before you give these, I just want to say something. I'm surprised that John pushed you to five. Did you did you offer five or did no, he push you to five? No, I offered five because really, uh, yeah, I I wanted to kind of broaden it out um, in case there were other people in the audience just besides you know our normal uh, audience, and, and I'm not suggesting you use all five of these. I'm just saying here's a buffet, pick the ones that are relevant for you or other ones that aren't on this list. These are just the ones that I've seen the most that have been the most effective and there we've talked about these before on our KPI show, obviously, but their turnaround time. So just like FedEx tracks turnaround time with, for their drivers and their packages, why do they track that? Because that's what their customers care about. So a predictive indicator is basically something that it, it's the way the customer defines the success of your business. And I, and I do think that customers look at turnaround time from their professionals, their lawyers, their accountants, whatever. Um, my other one is HSDs. So that's the high satisfaction days, you know, tracked by your team members. The other one is the value gap, which we've talked about. That's what are we getting from the customer now in terms of revenue? What could we be getting if they purchased everything that we believe they need? And there's going to probably be a gap there between the potential and the actual. How are we going to close that gap? The other one is the net promoter score. I know Sage uses that. Um, and that's based on Fred Reichelt's book, The Ultimate Question. And the last one was just innovation revenue. What percentage of your firm's revenue comes from services that you didn't offer, say, you know, three or five years ago? And what that forces firms to do is kind of look, and so does the value gap, 
it forces the firm to look at not so much what's the lifetime value of this customer to the firm, but what's the firm's lifetime value to the customer. And I think turning that telescope around is a really good exercise. No, most definitely. Most definitely. All right. Well, Ron, we're up against our break. My number six is going to have to wait until afterwards, but please come back and listen for that. Also remind you, as Ron said earlier, The Soul of Enterprise is the website. By the way, there is a course available now on the Professional Pricing Society site. But if you go to thesoulofenterprise.com slash PPS for Professional Pricing Society, you'll be taken out to a class that Ron and I have offered through the Professional Pricing Society. So go ahead and check that out. But now a word from our sponsor, Abacus Next. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Results CRM, the award-winning Abacus Next product, is a customer relationship management solution that will automate your business processes, streamline workflows, and deliver consistent results. Cloud-enabled to provide access to your users anytime from anywhere. Grow your business in 2018 with the number one QuickBooks CRM. To learn more about Results CRM, visit ResultsCRM.com. Clouds come in all shapes and sizes, and the Abacus Private Cloud is the perfect fit. Abacus Cloud enables all the desktop apps you know and love while providing unparalleled security to your business. Cloud functionality gives you the flexibility to work where you want, when you want, and from any device you want. Don't waste countless hours managing IT. Take back your time. Learn more at abacusnext.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And for those of you who are tuning in for our show and interview with John Stossel, as we mentioned at the top of the show, unfortunately, Mr. Stossel is unable to be with us today, and we wish him well. He had a personal injury that uh, we hope he gets over quickly. But, Ron, we're counting down both of our top ten pricing lessons, and number six on my list is – I don't know if it's pricing, but it's so related I just stuck it in there, and that is that business is not a zero-sum game. (laughs) I I just – I just so continue to deal with this problem over and over and over again. I, I think it's one of the root issues uh, in uh, that challenge business people universally. Forget about pricing. Forget about everything. But just this belief that somebody's debit is somebody else's credit. Uh, and I blame accountants for that. Yeah. But – um, you know, but as as I said to people, there's three. There's always three things that are involved in a transaction. 
And of course, the word transaction meaning beyond the action, that is the cost, the price, and the value. So although there's two parties, there's three things, and those things are those three are, values are always different, and the differences between them is where the value is created on both sides of that transaction. So the, this notion that we trade value for value, like for like, that that is 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 such a, a flaw in the thinking that uh, it just needs to be completely destroyed. And every time I get a chance to stamp it down, I will. Excellent. I I think it comes from two two things, Ed. Well. More than that, but I mean, in the business world, the sports analogies that we love to use and this whole idea of poker playing, yep. which, you know, is, is just a terrible analogy because both those things are zero sum, as is politics. Right. <laughs> um, right. Exactly. Okay. My number five is cost accounting is opinion, cash is a fact. <laughs> and so, you know, um, bless Dr. Reginald Lee. Uh, for his book, Lies, Damn Lies, and Cost Accounting. Bless H. Thomas Don- Johnson for his book, Profit Beyond Measure. And El- um, Elalu Goldratt, uh, who wrote The Goal, who just rails against cost accounting. Uh, spent a career out of doing that. But just how cost accounting can just lead us down a blind path, and yet people look at it, and they take it as gospel. And I just, that's so scary, because it has, it's, it. It builds these artificial relationships, and it divorces you from actual work. Yep. Yep. You know, it's interesting. We just we just both responded to one of our listeners, Gear, who sent us an article on on the costs of a, of uh, shoes, uh, running shoes. And you could you could just see in this article the level of complexity that goes into it. And the guy even says, "Well, I think this is ninety five percent accurate." And I'm like, "Well, he did a good job looking at everything, but." Does it really matter? Because nobody knows what a cost should be, and don't wouldn't you shouldn't you allocate like a CEO's salary over the entirety of the cost? I mean, that doesn't count for some reason. I mean, there's just you know there really no ways you could do it except I guess to say what are our total expenses for a company divided by the number of shoes we make? You know, exactly. Yeah, I mean the allocations are completely arbitrary, and depending on which cost accounting method you use, you'll get different numbers. And just one yeah. more point on this, Ed, and then we'll go to your five. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I was getting, I was in a debate the other day with a guy who said, "Yeah, but you know, yeah, the timesheets are a pack of lies. Yeah, people fudge on them. Yeah, they're not accurate, but but they're better than nothing." And I said, "So really, so you and I are lost in New York." And you say, hey, wait a minute, I got a map. And I go, oh, great. And you say, yeah, but it's of Los Angeles. Well, I'm not going to say, well, that's better than nothing. Here, give it to me. <laughs> I mean, no, it's not better than nothing. There's got to be there's got to be a better way. And, and luckily there is. You model capacity. You model cash flow. You do after action reviews. You do great project management. You've done lots of shows on that. So. Yeah, cost accounting needs to die as far as I'm concerned. I think it does more harm than good. Yep, no, no question. Well, my number five is without the value conversation, there can be no value pricing. So you're back up with your number four because we Excellent. already talked about that one. <laughs> <laughs> without a VC, no VP. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I love it. I love it. Um, well, my number four is really easy, Ed. Laughter is a confession. So, so I bas- true. Yeah, I, I basically showed people the the Time Shits video by BBDO in Canada. Oh, dang, that's it's, a good one. It's yep. a fantastic, it's so funny, especially if, if you watch the unedited version. 
<laughs> uh, which is a little bit longer. But people people were howling at this video. And and then you, you just you got them, you know, it's like, yeah, we know this is a joke, but this is what we do. Mm hmm. It's the way that we do things. We always and of course, we've talked about this. Nobody puts on an, on a on a timesheet what they think should have happened or what actually happened. They put down what they think should have happened. Right. So at best, it's optimal time. It's optimal cost. And you know what's so funny is like even the more you push people on that, they just then dismiss it and go on. Like remember the guy, and I think I've told the story. I'm sure I have on the air that, you know, a guy who said, uh, "Yeah, but it's okay, Ed, because the lies cancel each cancel other out on the timesheet." And I, I'm just I like, know. what? <laughs> I know. I really do think it's a belief, and it's really hard to argue logically with somebody who's got a, just a blind faith in in timesheets and how necessary they are for cost accounting when they when they're not cost accounting, they're terrible cost accountants, but yeah, it's, but it's so funny to get to, to mock it and use humor as a way to, you know, yep. bring, out, uh, yeah. bring out the truth. It's so funny. Cause as soon as you point out that, you know, I ha but how will I know my costs? And then you point out, but it's a lie. They're like, yes, but, but how would I know my costs? And you're like, did you, your not statement. <laughs> <laughs> but did you just miss the fact that it's not right? Did you just, you just miss that? Yeah. Oh, anyway. All right. Give me your number four, man. Oh, no. That was my number four. Laughter is a oh, confession. Oh, that was your number four. Okay. Yeah. All right, so I, so I'm up to number four. All right. So mine, um, offer choices. Offer, offer choices. choices. Probably, yeah. I have to say, just standalone by itself, the most powerful pricing advice you can give. It is. Across the board, period, end of story. Even if you price and come up with your costs and just do cost plus pricing, do it based on three choices and, and and then remove your hours or whatever you need to do, but just offer choices to people. It, it, I, I, I think this is beyond dispute. Although I, I have talked to some people, including our friend Mahan Khalsa in the past. I don't know if he's changed his mind on this. We haven't, we haven't, I haven't talked to him in years, but who say, no, 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 no. For professional work, you should find out the exact right solution to the problem and offer one one price, and that's it. And I used to believe that, Ed. In fact, if you read some of the early versions of my first book, I'm glad it's out of print, uh, you'll find that same statement from me, even though I did show firms that had options. You know, I was, I, I was, I knew it existed, and I said, well, it works for some firms, but I prefer, you know, what Mahan said. Well, I've changed my mind because of empirical evidence. It's overwhelming. And this mm -hmm. kind of goes back to one of the things that uh, Nassim Taleb says, you know, if something has stayed around for, for a long time, it's yep. probably got some validity. Well, you can go back to the Sears catalog. You can probably go back to the days of the, you know, the Agora, what is it called? The Agora, you know, the market um, place. They probably oh, gave right. options, right? I mean, mm -hmm. um, it, it's been around forever. There's a reason for it. Humans like choice. And the other thing it said that some somebody commented, to me the other day about this, it forces the customer to identify whether they're A, B, or C. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, you know, I thought, you know, that's very true. And it, it, it manages their expectations as well. So there's just so many other benefits besides the pricing benefits, which are enormous. So, yeah, that's a really yeah. good one. Yeah, especially if you follow some of the advice of like always, always give a price that's beyond their budget as your top choice. I mean that. I, well, not, I wouldn't say always, but I would say sometimes do that just to test. You know. So. Right. Right. 
Okay, so my number three, and we've done a whole show on this. In fact, we kind of had two shows on it. We, we did our first one. In fact, it was one of the early shows we did. I think it's within the first 12 or 15 shows that we did, but the best learning tool ever invented, the After Action Review. Um, such an important tool. Four simple questions, shamelessly stole from the U.S. Army. And then, of course, we had Colonel Elroy... Chris Elroy yep, Strickland, Strickland on the former mm-hmm. uh, U.S. Air Force Thunderbird, uh, and he talked about what they call the uh, debrief and lessons learned. Uh, he basically says that's why he's alive, which I found to be incredibly compelling. But the other really cool thing is, you know, the Thunderbirds, there's six pilots and 50 percent of them turn over every two years. And for those three new pilots coming on, it takes it takes them about four months to ramp up and, and you know, fly with one another well enough where they can go out and do an air show four months, four mm-hmm. months to do what they do at an air show. And that's because of the, the lessons learned, the after action review. I mean, it's incredible. It drives out fear. It actually improves performance. And the point I made to the group was if you did after action, after action reviews, that alone can replace timesheets and the annual performance appraisal. Yeah, absolutely no doubt on on both of those things. Really no doubt. So what's your number three? Number three I have is uh, time is a constraint, not a resource. <laughs> and and, and I'll, let me modify that slightly to say time is best thought of as a constraint, not a resource. And I, I think that th- this this is one of those – this is uh, so hard and I'm not going to be able to do it justice in just the one minute that we have left here before we, we take our next break. But th- suffice it to say that that the, the, the real key is understanding that we all have the same amount of time, right? Whether it's you or me or Ron or whoever, we all have the same amount of time. Time is a constraint. What people care most uh, mostly about – and from a timing perspective, is time is a duration. Like, uh, w- when is it going to be done? And they care less about time as a resource, meaning how long is it going to take? And so the real question for most people is, hey, when is this going to be done? And if we think of time as a constraint that way, in that way, it, it, you, it makes your life actually a lot better. Well, your, your distinction between duration and effort I always thought was brilliant. But, Ed, do you, you know, I say constant constraint because it's a constant, right? Time is just a constant. Yeah. And, and I, I started equating it to gravity. Some Somebody I talked to said, Let's, it'd be like measuring gravity. You know, mm-hmm. that's a constant constraint. What what we Since you can't blame change on a constant, what, mm-hmm. what good is knowing the time of something? The, right. Whereas the after-action review actually improves you know, future work and might lower the time or, or whatever, or at least make things more effective. But I, I kind of like that link to, to gravity and time as a constant constraint. Yeah, no, that totally works. Well, all right, Ron. So we each have two left. And when we get back, we will talk about our top two uh, ta- ta- of the top 10 pricing lessons that each of us have learned over the year. But right now, a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. 
Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. There is no blueprint for running the perfect firm. No way to know the challenges you'll face. But your journey does not have to be an odyssey. Experience what it is like for every part of your firm to be connected. Experience a practice management tool where everything is just a click away. Experience Office Tools. To learn more, visit officetools.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. Ed and I are talking about the top 10 pricing lessons we've learned over our careers. And Ed, my number two, which we we love this theme. It's such an important topic. It is we need to embrace risk, not run from it. Mm-hmm. Professionals mm-hmm. are so chicken. And we try, and that's the whole, one of the big reasons the billable hour sticks around. Not only is it easy and everybody knows it and, you know, yada, 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 all that. But it's also, it shifts the risk onto the customer, which is yep. one of the reasons it's a lousy customer experience, right? It's like having no option between a fixed rate mortgage and a variable rate mortgage. And the point I tried to convey was, you know, first off, if what you do involves risk, you're you're definitely not selling a commodity. That's something that actuaries told me. And I thought, I've always thought that that was a really, really important point that gets missed in a lot of businesses, even businesses that, you know, think of themselves as commodity and may in fact have commodity, you know, characteristics. But if what you're selling involves risk, there's no way it's a commodity. The other thing is there's no such thing as a bad risk. There's only bad premiums, which I love. Right. And the mm-hmm. other thing is there's no model for pricing risk by the hour. So we, we need to stop wimping out and, and, and we need to look at risk as an opportunity. And I'm not talking about imprudent risks. But I'm talking about risk. I mean, stop worrying that, oh, what if we spend 20 hours on that instead of 10 or what? Big deal. You know, if you priced right and, and you absorb some of that risk, you, you can easily make up for things like that. And you're making investments in the relationship. And so all of that. So embrace risk. That was the theme. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that, that that is such a difficult one for professionals to understand. I usually go to the extreme and say, look, if you don't want your business to have any risk, liquidate and just buy treasury bills. Exactly. Sit, yeah. sit at home. Yeah. Right? I mean. <laughs> yeah. I think Ray Kroc said, if, you, if you're not willing to take risk, you, you, you have no business being in business. Yeah, there you go. 
There you go. All right. Well, number two on my list, Ron, is a familiar theme. This is the, the actually the subject of two of our shows, uh, and that is the 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 laws of what we call it the laws of pricing. That is all va- all value is subjective, and all prices are contextual. And you know, I don't want to go go too much into it, but you know, the value is subjective thing is is pretty easy to demonstrate. We've talked about that and on various shows. And I think that just the point that I want to make on on prices are contextual is to say that that's the reason why, if you think about it, if you're going to put a deck on your house, you're going to go get three bids because one isn't enough, right? One isn't enough to give you any context and why the the brilliance of offering options or choices to a customer is that you are then creating your own context and to that and that that's a powerful thing to do i mean you you, you might not get the extreme which i at some point did where where somebody said to me hey thanks for sending this proposal this way now i don't have to get any other choices because you're giving three to me right which <laughs> right. is great but it also allows you to create context around your own prices and therefore uh, because you create that context it it changes the way that the the prospective customer sees you so yeah, for sure. And, and it changes the the question in the customer's mind from should I work with you to how should I work with you? And and that is just incredibly powerful. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Those, those two laws, uh, and, and and I think Rory Sutherland talked about that too in, in his Zeitgeist talk to Google um, where he said, you know, I've got a theory about everything so you can cancel Stephen Hawking tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but yeah. it was it was the idea that all value was subjective, and and that is a really powerful theory. And I think people get so hung up on, you know, value being a number, and it's not. Value is more of a feeling, and we try and put numbers around it. No, well, yeah, you gotta you gotta put a number on a price. I get that, but like like Mike Munger says, the economist that we interviewed, if you and I disagree on value, we can probably arrive at a price. Yep. Right. Because that's yep. what fact, that's what prices do. They they split up value. Yeah, and in fact, in a way, pri- price is. I think I think this is the way he phrases it. Price is is the settlement of the dispute between value and cost. Right. Right. right? Yep. So. So those those two laws are really good. Um, all right, my number one ad is something that we we <laughs> we talk a lot about, but it's the famous. Warner Earhart line that all transformations are linguistic. And what I really wanted to convey to this group is, you know, let's change the language. If we want to change the conversation, change the language. There's a lot of talk about how procurement is now involved in the, in the purchase of uh, certainly legal services, somewhat accounting, although less so certainly advertising. That was a big theme in, in, in the work I was doing down under on this recent trip. And I told him, I said, look, if you don't change the conversation to one of value and outcomes, then you're going to be stuck talking about costs and inputs and full-time equivalents and hourly rates and rate cards and all this other garbage. But the only way to do that is if you use different language. You know, you got to, we call it verbal assault. But when you verbally assault somebody with different language, you can change the conversation. So, and, and I also put up a list of some of our, you know, verboten words you know, like discount, <laughs> yeah. right? And and all the words that we really, really don't like, staff, you know, um, things like that. So, but just the importance of language and, and how it really can change um, 
results and behaviors and even even to some extent our beliefs. Oh, without question. I mean, that, 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 look, that's what the entire show Mad Men was about, right? And 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 that, that if you want to change, you want to change the change that what people saying about you, change the conversation, and it happens on more than one occasion in that show. But hey, listen, you bring up Warner Earhart, and we we, I, we, we, we we're, we're finished with the Americas. It always reminds me when I hear about Warner Earhart. It reminds <laughs> me of Est <laughs> and poor poor Philip. Philip, hey, you know, just a quick side note, and I know I'll give you my last one as we're running down here. Um, you know, two big shows that were out in the last couple of years was was obviously the Americans, and then also the Crown. And I didn't make the connection until I saw a uh, a, a quiz about this. You know, one of these quizzical things that you can do, mm-hmm. and it was which TV couple said it: Philip and Elizabeth Jennings or Philip and Elizabeth Windsor. <laughs> I think I saw that. Yeah, <laughs> it was absolutely hysterical, right? So, uh, anyway, some good stuff there. All right, my number one, Ron. My number one is prices are derived not from cost. Instead, prices justify the future expenditure of cost. Right. And man, that's that, that's that's a big summary right there of lots and lots of in years of agony um, oh. co- coming through that. And I I remember when the words came to me where I said Pr- prices justify the future expenditure of cost. My head nearly exploded, but I think the audience that I was speaking in front of also did. And every time I say that now, I I can I, I can see the liminal thinking going on. I yes. think that's one one of the things that really drives liminal thinking is that particular phrase for whatever reason. Yeah, no, that's so true. That is, and it's so powerful. And if people get it, then it does change their outlook for for life. I mean, that's just one of those things that expands your mind and it never contracts to its original shape. Yep. No, it's 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 really good stuff and. Uh, like I said, I, I try to make it a point to say that wherever I can. And my big joke is if I had to send all accountants to the Bart Simpson whiteboard of life, I would make them write over again, over and over again. <laughs> Prices do not come from costs. But right. anyway, Prices. all right. That, that's great. Well, Ed, just one more thing. I gave him some low-hanging fruit, and I'll just give you one item. Folks, if you want to implement value pricing, especially if you're in a larger firm, here's the biggest low-hanging fruit I can give you. Take pricing away from people who suck at it. Amen, brother. Amen. <laughs> so, Ed, what's on store? Who's on store for next week? Yes, next week, Ron, we're doing another interview show. Jeff Cant- uh, Cantor, and he's going to talk to us about some of the great work that he's been doing in the healthcare sector, especially with regard to entrepreneurs. And man, this guy is going to rock your world, especially if you're a small business owner and some of the things that you could that are available today that could change the way that you interact with the healthcare system, especially in the United States. But I think that some of the, some of his ideas are really need to go global. So stay stay with us and listen to that show next week. Fantastic. I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy. Sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, check out our full show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com. Send me or Ed an email at ask.parasage.com. 
Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.